Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a teaching series in the Sermon on the Mount called The Politics of Jesus, where we're learning how to live the upside-down way of Jesus' kingdom. Thanks for joining us. The word politics means the activities associated with the governance of a country or kingdom. In other words, it simply means the way people living in groups make decisions and live those decisions out as a community. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is a picture of the kingdom of God, an invitation to life in community, which is often upside down to the kingdom of this world. Well, good morning, everybody. I want to greet those of you that are also watching online, as well as those of you that are in the room. And I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to look at the last 11 verses, verses 38 through 48. And we're in a series, as we just saw, called The Politics of Jesus. And we're learning the upside-down way of Jesus and his whole intention for us living in his kingdom. And uh, the last few weeks, we have been looking, uh, this is the third week now, that we've been looking at life in the kingdom at some very, very challenging passages. So if while you're turning there, you can, you know, multitask, here's the first line of the message notes, if you're following along. In these verses, we see the upside down way of Jesus' kingdom in six, but I tell you's. That's an interesting mouthful there. What I mean is, is that in verses 17 through 48, we're going to see six times where Jesus says something like this, but I tell you, you've heard that it was said, but I tell you, but I say to you, and uh, we've looked at four of those already, and in the last couple weeks, Steve and Brian have helped us see Jesus' words on anger, on adultery, on divorce, and the oaths that we make, the things that we promise. And so we've seen that today, we're coming to the last two of but I tell you's, and we're going to see how his but I tell you is do not resist an evil person and love your enemies. Lightweight verses to be sure, but we're going to still spend time with them. They're challenging. They're super challenging. And again, I hope you'll see this. I want to just ask you this question as we think about these verses. Has anyone ever mistreated you? Has anyone ever mistreated you? And if they have, how did you respond? Jesus is going to talk about that in this text. And I, for one, find that to be some of the most difficult part of life in understanding what I do if someone, when someone, mistreats me. And so we're going to look at that today. But here's what I want to remind you as we're looking at this. I want to take you all the way back to verse 14 through 16, before we got to verses 17 through 48. Because in those verses, we looked at Jesus' purpose for us in the kingdom. And his purpose was, and when he said, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. If you're my people, this is how I want you to live differently. And so if you're following along, how can we be salt and light when people mistreat us? How can we live our purpose? How can we be salt and light when people mistreat us? Now, I want to invite you, if you would, to turn your notes over on the backside. And I've listed there some examples of mistreatment. And you're going to see that mistreatment comes in many forms. There's actually a wide range from light persecution to extreme persecution. And 
what I want you to see is that, uh, in fact, I even added a few on my notes there. Um, at the very top, I just put being ignored or being treated like you don't exist. Sometimes it's not even active feeling. It's just more of just people, uh, you know, make you feel like a zero. But there's insults, verbal abuse. I, I wrote out the side of my notes, biting criticism, um, slander, character assassination, identity theft, bullying. It's become a big problem. Confiscation of property or destruction of property. Uh, next one, I actually had to add a word there. It's the harming of a loved one. Some people have told me, Jeff, I can actually take quite a bit of mistreatment to myself. You mistreat my loved ones, and now I got a real problem. And that makes sense to me. Uh, there's arrest, imprisonment, beatings, torture, murder, or execution. You realize there's brothers and sisters in the Lord that literally this very day are going through some of these more extreme forms of mistreatment because they've named his name in a country that's hostile, very hostile, like violently hostile to that. And so as you see all that, um, I'm going to invite you to come back to this later in the message. But I, I really appreciate what Ron Davis says, because here's why this message is going to be challenging for us. He says this, we have to move beyond our naive expectation that if we do good things, if we do good, things will turn out all right. Our perception must expand to embrace the fact that the good we do will sometimes be punished, not rewarded that the person who tells the truth will sometimes be scorned as a liar, that the person who deals out gentleness and understanding will often be paid back in anger and hatred. That's the world we live in. To pretend otherwise is to set ourselves up for deep disappointment, disillusionment, and depression. And I think he's absolutely right. And so what Jesus is doing in this passage, I think you're going to see this, is he's going to say, look, when this stuff happens to you, and it's going to happen to me, and it's going to happen to you, you have a choice, I have a choice. Will I fall into self-pity and a victim mentality and look for ways to try and get revenge or to even the score? Or will I look for a way to let my heart and my character actually grow bigger, not smaller? Will I become bitter or better? Will I become bigger or smaller? These are the things that are on the line when we look at this. And Jesus is going to expand our imagination because even that first century, he knew how violent and how mistreated people could be just in everyday matters. So would you pray for me? Would you pray, pray for me too. But pray with me as we think about this text. Now, Lord, I've noticed in myself that what rises up is excuses and justifications and defensiveness. And so, Lord, I just pray, first of all, that you would help my heart be softer towards your instructions. And as I do that, Lord, I'm just trusting you to work in every heart that hears your words. Help us, God. Help us not become smaller. Help us grow bigger. In your name we pray. Amen. So let's look at this passage together. Now, what I want to do is some of you know that years ago, I made a commitment to memorize not only a lot of verses in the Bible, but the one section of scripture that I devoted myself to memorizing was Matthew 5, 6, and 7 when I was a young person. 
And so I want to just, I want to say these words to you in the version that I memorized, these first section, 38 through 42, and I want you just to listen. Listen to Jesus talk, okay? He says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist one who is evil. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your coat, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to him who begs from you and do not refuse him who would borrow from you. Now, Jesus starts by saying what not to do when you're mistreated. He says what? If you're following along the notes, you'll see that that section's entitled, Do Not Resist an Evil Person. And uh, my, I just looked at this. Uh, when, when you, the word resist, what's that mean? Some other translations say, don't fight back. Don't try to get even. Don't take revenge. And so again, what, what's going on here? So let's unpack it because he then gives four mini illustrations of how this might play out. Don't do this. Here's another way to do it. Okay, so here we go. Jesus quotes the Lex Talionis. And I'm going to explain what that is. I'm not just trying to use big words then calls us to surpass it. Now, when I say surpass it in the notes, do you remember if we go all the way back to verse 17 and following, Steve helped us see that he said this very quickly. He said, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What did he mean? Was he, was he trying to say you got to be absolutely perfect? No, what he's saying is if you start getting into an external approached to acting the right way rather than being changed from the inside out in the heart, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven because it's about the heart. So therefore, don't aim as low as the, tax, the Pharisees and the tax, I mean, the Pharisees and the scribes are doing. Instead, you need to surpass this. Now, let me explain. The Lex Talionis, which was from the Old Testament, it's actually also in some other religions, even Islam and others, and here's what it is. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Now, when you and I hear that, we need to know that's actually taken from three different places in the Old Testament. But the context was always this, and I've listed out to the right one of those verses that explains the context. These verses were for the courts. They were not for personal uh, interactions. But by Jesus' day, people had actually said, look, you take my eye, I'm taking your eye. You take my tooth, I'm taking your tooth. And that was never meant to be that. It was always meant to be the judges, after listening very carefully, being very thorough, would decide. Now, here's what I want you to understand. This was actually a protection because it meant that if you got upset with someone, you couldn't take more than had already been taken from you. You notice how it's equal. And so it's, it's, it's actually protecting people from becoming vigilante and taking massive retaliation measures that just creates a whole cycle of evil. So again, notice this, but I want you to see that the Lex Talionis, Jesus says, look, if you're only into eye for eye, tooth for tooth, you've missed the whole point of the law. God was doing that as a protection, so you didn't do that stuff against each other. And notice what he says next is don't seek revenge if you're following along or repay evil with evil, but love mercy. Don't seek revenge or repay evil with evil, but love mercy. In Luke's uh, 
version of this same message, this same sermon that Jesus gave. He says, you know, you need to be merciful just as your heavenly father is merciful. But instead, what you've gotten into is all kinds of tit for tat. And when you get into that mindset, it's not going to ever make your heart bigger. You're going to always stay at earthly level, and you're just going to never become a bigger person. And so when you think about that, isn't that our most natural response? <laughs> when something happens, to say, oh, really? You want to play that game? I can play that game. I've, I've, I've watched this rise up so fast in my heart. And hearing Jesus' words are actually shocking. Now, again, as you're listening, here's what you may be tempted to do. You may be able to say, the stuff Jesus is saying right here, man, it's not only impossible. He surely can't expect me to take this seriously. I just want to say, can you suspend that for a little bit and realize he really does mean what he says, but it involves some clarification. So for instance, the many illustrations, I tell you that if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to the other also. People have misunderstood those verses forever. I want you to know that in fifth grade, a bully was picking on me in the playground, and I actually decided that's how I was going to handle things, literally. So the guy punched me in the face, and so I literally, in front of all my friends and his friends, basically said, go ahead, hit me on this side. And he did. And I remember thinking to myself, I wonder if I understand the interpretation correctly. <laughs> But I've done some more understanding of this passage since. And I just want you to see, he says, if anyone sues you and takes your coat, let him have your cloak as well. The law required that before nightfall, they had to give that back. But what it's saying is, if he tries to take it from you, either in the courts or during the day, go ahead and actually give him more than he demands. Because he is going to have to give it back. But just know that. And then the, the third one, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles, the Romans were the occupying power there in Jerusalem and there in Israel. And they could, by law, make any person that was an Israelite take their load, the soldier's backpack or their load, and they could make anyone carry it. That's why when Jesus was being crucified, Simon was forced to carry his cross. They could pick anybody they wanted, and the Israelites hated it. They had the most inside burning resentment against being forced to do that. Jesus says, if that happens, here's an idea. Offer to go one more mile with him. Interesting. Last one, if anyone, you know, do not refuse him who would borrow from you or begs from you. In other words, he's saying is have a different spirit than everybody else has when it comes to this. Okay, so let me unpack this a little bit more. If you're following along, he's saying this. By the way, Micah 6 8, let me, let me unpack that. Just we, we actually taught on this in a series called 6 8 earlier uh, this past year. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. There's three things. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly or to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Now, what I want you to see is that Jesus does not pick between those. When he's saying, turn the other cheek, you need to understand that the cheek, if you've seen people even from the Middle East, if you've, even if you've never been there, you've seen what they do. They kiss each other on the cheek when they greet. They don't shake hands. They, they kiss each other on, on both sides of the cheek. So this was not, Jesus is not talking about assault like that guy in fifth grade. He's talking about a backhanded insult. And when that happened, he's basically saying, when someone insults you, you got a choice to make about that insult. 
He's not saying, if someone assaults you, just keep letting them assault you. He's not saying that at all. And that's what some people hear, because we don't translate across cultures. But listen, again, some of you have told me when I share this in the past, that Tim Keller's words were helpful to you. He said, I think the average person thinks turn the other cheek means I just hit you on one cheek and you turn the other cheek saying, go ahead, hit me again. I'm still breathing. That's not what it's saying. You have to remember in a culture where they didn't do handshaking, you kissed. But when someone, you saw someone coming and you wanted to show them you wanted to be friends, what did you do? You turned the cheek. What Jesus Christ is saying here is you do not let them sin against you. That's not the best thing for them. You don't let them walk all over you. You don't let them walk all over other people either. You try to confront them. You try to convince them. You try to talk with them. You maybe try to argue with them, but you must do it without an iota of desire to hurt them, to belittle them, or to humiliate them. He says this. He says, when someone strikes you on the cheek, you're not supposed to Uh, keep letting them hit you, nor do you slap them on their cheek, but instead you turn the other cheek. What does this mean? It's radical. What it means is that you put, I love this, you put the relationship on a new footing. You start over with a concern both for justice and mercy. He said, I once heard this happen. I happened to be in a room where I heard a grown woman talking to her father on the phone. This is what I heard. She was quiet for a minute, and then suddenly she said, Dad, I want you to know, and I've told you before, that I cannot allow you to talk to me like that or to mom like that. I've told you before we won't put up with it, and therefore I'm going to hang up right now in the middle of your sentence. I want you to know I care for you, and I love you, and I really want to have a good relationship with you, and if you're willing to change, I'm willing to get it on. But... I'm not going to listen, so I will call back later. I care a lot about you. She hung up. Don't you see what she did? If she just stood there and let herself get slapped on the cheek, what she would have done is just stood there and listened to it and taken it and taken it and taken it. Don't rock the boat. After all, he's my father. That's the passive response. On the other hand, the other response is a slap on the other cheek and say, Dad, I've had it with you, you blankety blank. What you've done to me is the same thing I'm going to do back to you. I never want to see you again. I'm going to tell mom to leave you. Wham! Both of those responses are totally natural. The response she came up with is the Christian response. What Jesus is talking about here is turning the other cheek. It's the only hope for the world, and it takes supernatural strength. What did she do? She turned the other cheek. She put the relationship on a new footing. She said, Dad, here is what justice is, and here's what truth is. Now I'm giving you a chance to start over. She doesn't withdraw. She makes herself available. She says, if you're willing to change, I want a relationship. That's what it means to turn the other cheek, to give the person the chance to kiss you this time instead of hit you. I want a relationship, but it has to be on the footing of both justice and love, not one or the other. And I have found that to be so powerful. I think I've shared this before. I had a classmate in seminary, and, um, and she was sharing with us that um, she had a stepfather when she was a teenage girl who had repeatedly come home on weekends when he was drunk and raped her. I know this is difficult to hear. It was difficult for me to hear. And she said that it was very overwhelming. She didn't feel like she had, and she was trying to figure out, how does Jesus want me to respond to this terror? 
So she said after she came, became a Christian, she began to look at that completely different, and she realized that Jesus was not asking her to continue to take that abuse, but she also knew that if she was going to stand up to this man, she was endangering herself. And she said she got to the point one night when he came in, and she stood up to him and said, you are not going to touch me again. You need to leave my room right now. And she knew that he could become violent. She knew she might even be killed. But for some reason that night, he turned around and left. And he never attempted that again. And I found myself thinking that kind of courage is what she understood. Do justice. Love mercy. And she eventually, years later, actually had somewhat of a relationship with her stepfather because she asked him to treat her with respect instead of abuse. Does it always happen that way? Of course not. But that was one of the ways I saw a friend work out a very difficult situation. Now notice this. So respond with healthy boundaries. We've taught this class before on boundaries. It's so important. Respond with healthy boundaries and reset the relationship. Now let me just say one more thing to you you realize that Jesus was slapped on the face. Do you remember this? At his trial in John 18, he is slapped in the face. And he doesn't just go, okay, keep slapping me. What he says to the high priest is, um, can you explain to me what I did that was illegal, that merited that? And if it wasn't illegal, why did you slap me? So he, 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 he pushed back, but there was no no the trollic spirit in him, he simply asked that question. He asked the person to do justice, but he also did it with a heart of mercy. Paul, when he was beaten with rods in the Philippi and he was asked to leave quietly town, he said, I'm not going to leave quietly without you ushering me out because I'm a Roman citizen and you just mistreated me. Did he, did he act mean to them? Did he say, I'm going to sue you? Did he do any of that? No, but he said, you you owe it to me to be respectful if you're going to require that of me to leave quietly. And so there was this both and. Do you see what I'm talking about? This is what Jesus is talking about, okay? So um, healthy boundaries, reset the relationship, set it on another footing. Give the person a chance if they've done it wrong to aim higher. But it doesn't mean we trust them. It doesn't mean we always get close to them. It means that we at least give that possibility of mercy. Now notice this, that we show them a better way, Jesus says, exceed expectations and live generously. Exceed expectations and live generously. There's so much I could say here, but you notice what he said? If you're forced to go one mile, exceed that expectation. Go past it. Be bigger. Give even more. Surprise people sometimes in your response. And that's been helpful for me too. But this idea of living generously, bigger hearted, not necessarily being stingy in our responses to people, but surprising them with the same generosity God's given us. When I was studying Luke's message in Luke 6 on this, he uses a phrase that stood out to me this week. Do these things without expecting anything back. In other words, you and I have to decide if we're going to do it only for the reward, only for the desired response, or we're going to do it anyway even if it doesn't turn out the way we hoped? Do we at least attempt to show a different spirit in a world that's filled with darkness? Now, before I talk to you about the positive of love your enemies, let me just stop and share something with you that I shared back when we talked about salt and light. 
Really what Jesus is saying is, is that I'm not interested in showing you how to perform. I'm interested in developing your character because you, all your influence in this world will flow out of whether or not your character is growing and deepening and becoming bigger. So I came across this quote this week from Oswald Chambers about character. Look at what he says about this very, very subject. He said, no man is born with character. He wrote back in the 1940s. No man is born with character. We make our own character. When the man is born from above, a new disposition is given to him, but not a new character. Neither naturally nor supernaturally are we born with character. Character is what a person makes out of his disposition as it comes in contact with external things. A man's character cannot be summed up by what he does in spots, but only by what he is in the main trend of his existence. And I've thought about this so much. I've told you before that when I was a parent and when I was trying to learn how to be a better parent, God showed me that the whole goal was to help my kids and myself learn that it's about character. Character is who you are when no one's around. Character is what we are in the dark. Character is what we really are. And so notice this. Is, here's, here's a phrase that I just want to show you about character. This is what I often said to kids. When something hard happened in their life, I remember when Jeremy was getting picked on in middle school. I remember saying to him, this is a character moment, man. Everything inside of me wants to go take care of those kids right now. This is a character moment for you, and it's a character moment for me. But this is what I want you to see. Character moments lead to character muscles or character misses. Every time you and I get this coming our way, it's a moment, it's an opportunity that we can pass on or take advantage of, but it's going to have different consequences. And so look at this when we see love your enemies. And here it is again in this version. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons and daughters of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what more are you doing than others? What reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, what does that mean? Notice if you're following along, Jesus quotes and corrects a twisted version of God's law. Jesus quotes and corrects a twisted version of God's law. The original law never said, hate your enemies. They added that. But they looked for the context where they had enemies and they thought, it's okay if we hate the people that are not our people, people that aren't under God's covenant blessing. But it actually says, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus was showing them that even your enemy is your neighbor. And so they had, they had gotten to the place where they, they had a list. Do you have a list? I've had a list at times where those people go, I don't have to love them. And Jesus is saying, when, the minute you do that, you have gotten away from the heart of God because you have now relegated certain people to not, I don't have to love them. And Jesus said, no, it's bigger than that. Now notice if you're following along, love, what is it? 
This is very confusing in our world. It's a deliberate, thoughtful, seeking another person's good. Love is a deliberate, thoughtful, seeking another person's good. It's wanting their well-being. It's wanting them to know life going in a way that's flourishing. And that's not necessarily the way we often think. But notice that when he says this, he says, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. So here's what I want you to see. Notice that pray, if you're following along, pray and keep on praying for them. Bless and do not curse. Pray and keep on praying for them. Bless and do not curse. Can I just ask you a question? You ever tried this? It's a fascinating thing. Most of us, when we pray, we'd go like this, God, here's my prayer. Get them. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He says, pray for them, not about them. Pray for them. Pray in the direction. And then I list that part, bless and do not curse, because in Luke 6, he talks about this same idea, and he adds, do good to them. Now, this is, can you see what he's trying to do? He's trying to expand our understanding of what it would look like if we live our purpose in a dark world. He's saying, if you just act naturally, evil will continue unabated. But if you respond differently, any possibility of the world getting more redeemed just went up. It's not a guarantee because some people may not choose to respond that way, but it's your part to be salt and light. And the only way that can happen is if you choose to have a different response. So years ago, I was struggling with some people on my list. And I came across 1 Peter 3.9. Have you ever seen it? Here's what it says. It says, don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. And I've done that before, and I've noticed it never really makes a good difference. But here's the next part. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. This is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. This, this bless instead of curse. Romans 12, 14 actually says that. So what does that mean? How do I bless someone? How do I want their good? And what I've known is I had to get back to a place where instead of just thinking terrible thoughts about them over and over again, I had to look back with a heart of mercy. Is there anything I can think of that I can relate to? If they got hurt, would they also be hurt like I am? Would they, is there anything good I can think about to kind of break that cycle? And Lord, even if I can't right now, help me bless them. Help me want their good. And I have found that to be life-changing. Notice this. Do good to them as your Father has done to you. Do good to them as your Father has done to you. Why does Jesus say all this stuff? Because he said, I already went first. I'm doing good to you. Now I want you to pass it on. I want you to be a river rather than a reservoir. I want that world to be watered by my goodness to you so it flows to other people. I wouldn't ask you to do it if I hadn't already been good to you. Now I want you to pass it on. Even though we were once enemies, I came to make us right with each other. I want you to be a redemptive salt and light in this world. I was reading about Wade Boggs, the former Red Sox baseball player. He used to hate going to Yankee Stadium. And everybody goes, well, of course, the Yankees don't like the Red Sox. But he actually, most of the fans there were great to him, except one. Every time he went there, and some of you know his position on the field, he would hear this one guy just say, you stink, all this different stuff, and way worse than that. And he said it literally made his life miserable every time he had to go to Yankee Stadium. 
So one day, as he's getting ready to warm up, this guy got there early, had a box seat. He's yelling all this stuff to him. And Wade Boggs is having a hard time even concentrating. But he decides he's going to do something different this time. He goes over to him and he says, excuse me, are you the guy that always is heckling me and insulting me? He goes, yeah, what do you want, me to, do? What do you want to do about it? Wade Boggs took out a baseball, he signed it, and he handed it to him. And then he went back to play. The guy never heckled him again. In fact, he became one of Wade Boggs' biggest fans. Now, all I want to say is Wade Boggs had an imagination for how to respond differently. He didn't do it only to get the response, but he thought if there's any chance of there ever being a difference, I have to initiate that. And he did. Notice this is why is this so important? It reveals who you belong to and you shine in the dark. It reveals who you belong to and you shine in the dark when you do that. I love what the message paraphrase says about these last two verses, because when we hear, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, most of us go, I'll never be perfect. That's not what it's talking about. It's be mature, be bigger in character like your father is bigger in character. Here's what it says in the message paraphrase. If all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. In a word, what I'm saying is grow up. Your kingdom subjects, now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously toward others the way God lives toward you. So as we bring this to a close, let me just ask you, where is Jesus? This is a question you can ask. Where is Jesus inviting me to practice this kind of character? And would you mind keeping your notes out and just turning them over and looking again at this list on the back? And as you're looking at it, and I just ask you, were you mistreated in the past? Or are you experiencing mistreatment right now? Where did it happen? Was it in your family? Was it at work? Was it at school? Was it in your neighborhood? When? Where? Is someone or something coming to mind? So I don't want to ever teach you about this stuff without applying it. So this morning as I was getting ready, I just said, Lord, this is a question I'm going to be asking others. I need to ask you myself. Because it's easy. I've met people all the time say, I don't have any enemies. I don't have anybody that's really giving me a hard time right now. But maybe you have in the past. Or maybe someone's just not occurring to you because you kind of pushed it down. That's what had happened to me. And three faces came to my mind. And I guess the best way I could say it is, is there anybody that whenever you think of them, they irritate you? Because if they irritate you, something's going on under the surface. And how you and I respond is a character moment that can either lead to character muscles or a character miss. And Jesus is inviting us into character. So take a couple minutes and just pray and think about what he might want to say to you. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook.